to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We are all filled with uncertainty and fear and despair during this pandemic. Whether it's the anxiety of leaving the house for a grocery run or working on the front lines at a hospital, these are just terrifying times. But imagine enduring COVID-19 from behind bars. That's where we want to spend the hour today, looking at the coronavirus through the lens of people who are in Michigan's prisons and jails. As of April 22nd, there have been more than 650 confirmed COVID-19 cases and 25 deaths among Michigan's incarcerated population. The ACLU of Michigan is pushing the governor to allow for the release of prisoners who are especially vulnerable to contract COVID-19. And ACLU of Michigan's editor-at-large, Kurt Guyette, has been talking to some inmates at correctional facilities throughout the state about the conditions in prisons amid the pandemic. Kurt joins us now, along with Richard Griffin, a returning citizen and Smart Justice Campaign field organizer with the ACLU of Michigan. Kurt and Richard, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us on, Stephen. And first, uh, I want to respond to the opening of your show and want to say how sorry we are for, for the loss, but also how much we appreciate uh, the voice of, of reason and fact and, and calm, uh, but also compassion that you've been providing throughout this. It is, it is very, very, very much appreciated. No, I really appreciate your saying that, Kurt. These are unprecedented times, and I don't think any of us will ever live through any of it, anything like it again. And it is hard every day to, to keep focus, but uh, we really are trying to provide a, a forum for that kind of focus and reason here on, uh, on Detroit Today. And we're really glad to welcome you to this forum as well given the important work that you're, that you're doing on this issue. So as we get started, I want to play an excerpt, Kurt, of your interview with a man named Jamie, who is currently incarcerated at the Macomb Correctional Facility. You have been talking a lot with people who are behind bars right now about what they're experiencing. And Jamie kind of sets up how the state was handling this in the early part of the outbreak. The end of February many people started getting sick and by March the 4th we were quarantined and they came around but they said it was a influenza and they kept us on quarantine to the units and then it started spreading in different units and that's when we saw on the news that it was in several facilities that they called it a flu outbreak and from that time, it took a couple weeks to get bleach from March the 4th. Two weeks after the flu, they were calling it the flu. A couple people were tested. They had to be sent out because they was real sick. And they ended up being tested for the COVID-19. And that's when, you know, they started discovering that many guys had coronavirus so uh, th- that is a harrowing account of 
what's going on inside. Kurt, tell us about these conversations that you've been having with people in Michigan jails and prisons and what the ACLU is doing in response to these conditions, which in normal times are really awful, but in the middle of a pandemic, the level of danger and the mortal threat to people inside just is unfathomable. It, it is, and the the stress level is, is only increased by things like what we just heard Jamie describe, which was the slow response. Uh, I was talking with people inside the uh, Muskegon facility, the state uh, prison in Muskegon. And one of the things that guys there were telling me consistently was that they continue to ration soap. And that doesn't seem like maybe a huge deal to the people on the outside, but to the people on the inside, it it is really huge. Uh, They get a month, a weekly ration of, of two small hotel size bars of soap. And that was the way it was before the outbreak of the pandemic. And it hasn't increased. And the official uh, policy of the MDOC at this point is if, if a prisoner runs out, all they have to do is ask for more and, and they get it. But that's, that wasn't happening. And I haven't talked to them uh, for a couple days. It's, it's hard to keep a steady line of communication open. But the, the last I heard, that was still still the case. And, and it, it, I just think it speaks to, it's emblematic of, of what's going on. If they won't increase the ration of, of soap during something like this, when soap is absolutely vital to help stop the spread, if they won't do even that, then I think that speaks to the, the larger picture of, of what the attitude is. And and it, it's just, there's just no justification for it uh, whatsoever. Uh, in terms of what the, the ACLU of Michigan is doing, uh, lawsuit uh, was filed against the uh, Oakland County Sheriff in order to uh, compel that jail to start letting out the, the most vulnerable uh, people. Uh, people who are sick, uh, people who are elderly, uh, people who are nearing the, the end of their uh, sentences. Uh, there was also uh, two lawsuits filed against uh, ICE, uh, federal immigration, uh, to try to do the same thing uh, to compel the release for the same kinds of people uh, that are being held in Michigan jails, uh, immigrants that are being held in uh, Michigan jails. Uh, And there's also an intense effort to try to convince the governor to take more action to start letting uh, people out of the state's prisons that are also the most vulnerable, the Mm -hmm. people who are sick, people who are elderly, and then also people who are nearing the, the end of their sentences. Because at this point, keeping people incarcerated for even low-level things means that they 
are facing the potential of a, of a death sentence because it is so difficult to control the spread of the virus when people are locked up because social distancing just isn't possible. Yeah. It, and, and so that, you know, it's kind of a summary of, of what's going on. Yeah, I, I feel like um, there is something quite peculiar, in fact, about the idea of prison in something like a pandemic. Because as you point out, uh, the, the conditions inside, the, the very nature of prison bumps up against the thing that we know need to be done in order to, to keep people to keep people safe. Uh, Kurt, I, I wonder if you can give us a sense of how much thought and care you think uh, is, is going into how this is being handled inside jails and prisons by state officials. In other words, it's really obvious that that these are not conditions that are conducive to controlling something like coronavirus. Are they are they acting uh, with the haste and deliberate sort of speed that you would need to make sure that that this doesn't become uh, a much worse situation? I think the answer is no, uh, that they're they're not. And it starts with the governor, uh, who needs to be more proactive in what she's doing in terms of helping get people out of prison. That's one thing that's under her direct control as the the governor, and, and she should uh, be doing that. Uh, in terms of general, though, one thing that I've I've learned uh, I learned from uh, Natalie Holbrook uh, with the uh, American Friends uh, Service uh, Committee that's that's very active in this issue is that it changes not just from prison to prison but within different units at one prison it's not necessarily the same whether guards or uh, correctional officers are handing out soap you know things as as, as simple as that. It, one thing that we've been hearing, and, and Rich could uh, speak to this as well, I think, because she, he has a lot of uh, contacts, and he's hearing uh, directly from a lot of people as well. But it, it, it varies from uh, prison to prison and within, within prisons exactly uh, how strict the, the measures, uh, the preventative measures are that are, that are being taken. Hmm. Uh, Rich uh, Griffin, we are seeing this pandemic disproportionately affect people of color. In your role with the ACLU Smart Justice Campaign, talk about your work to eliminate racism in Michigan's correctional facilities and how you're viewing this work through the lens of racial disparity in COVID-19 deaths. Well, sure. Um, over in general, uh, my position at the ACLU is to um, galvanize community members and educate folks on uh, racial disparities and just the legal realities around our carceral uh, state as you know, citizens in the U.S. We have a uh, goal of having mass incarceration as we know it. Um, but in the face of, of COVID-19 and everything that we're seeing currently, um, some of the work obviously has, has shifted gears and all hands are on deck and we're working around the clock to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to um, urge the governor to use her executive powers by which to release folks who are most vulnerable. And that, that would be anybody that's incarcerated currently. Hmm. Um, to, 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 to some of Kurt's point, um, housing units, especially 
in the Muskegon Correctional Facility, the reports that Kurt has been receiving from from that facility, um, I've received as well. But there's a special housing unit there that provides the men there with everything that they need from a public health standpoint. Um, the other units don't fare as well in that. Um, that special housing unit is created for folks who have um, very pristine institutional records who are um, engaged in programs that would then facilitate their release. However, they're being treated differently from the rest of the general population. Um, and just just overall, it's almost an impossibility for anybody who's incarcerated to practice what public health officials have stated is necessary for us to curb um this COVID-19 pandemic. Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you have joined us. Uh, my guests are Kurt Guyatt and Richard Griffin, both work for the ACLU of Michigan, uh, and they are working on the issue of incarcerated people during the coronavirus pandemic, people behind bars who face uh, enhanced dangers and way less support than those of us who are on the outside. Uh, the ACLU is pushing state officials and the governor in particular to release more people uh, who are behind bars so that they don't have to be uh, in jail or in prison during this and can get some of the care uh, and benefit from some of the safety measures that are available on the outside. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us if you have a family member or friend who is incarcerated right now and what your concerns are about those people, about the population behind bars here in Michigan. Do you think the governor should release incarcerated people who are especially vulnerable when it comes to contracting the coronavirus? Should they be just releasing more people in general, in other words, uh, why keep uh, why keep offenders behind bars at this time uh, for many of the crimes that uh, that we put people in into jail for? As always, uh, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. Let's uh, get to listeners who have a lot of thoughts about this issue. Let's start with Sean in Southwest Detroit. Sean, Hi. welcome Hi. to the program. First of all, first thing I want to um, thank both you, Stephen, and Kurt for not only being on the front lines now, but for being on the front lines for many, many years. But my point is that um, that what happens in the prisons doesn't just stay in the prisons. And I want to tell a story. Uh, of a friend of ours who was just uh, recently released because he was close to the end of his sentence. But when he came out, of course, there's no housing, there's no anything for people coming out. He was already sick. So he went into the house of some friends of ours who are older gentlemen. And then as it turns out, he was, he was positive. And so he's in the hospital uh, now. And they, uh, these two older gentlemen who took him in because there's no housing, no support, no anything for people coming out of prison, They've been exposed, and now they're on quarantine. And another friend of ours who's uh, diabetic and quite ill was a very good friend of his. He's, he's on quarantine. So what happens in the prisons doesn't stay in the prisons. And if they're not taking care of it there, then as people come out, it spreads into the community and has this ripple effect. So that's the concern I have, is that you've got to be proactive all the way around and not just leave 
people to to get sick in mm. that close quarters of the prison. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, that's a really great point. I'm glad you called. But to make that Kirk Guyette, I wonder what your reaction is to what she's talking about. Yeah, Sean is, is, is absolutely right. Uh, and it's not just uh, the, the prisons, but the, the jails. The National ACLU uh, just did a study working with uh, epidemiologists. And their analysis was that the by not, if you keep people, keep putting people in in jails and and cycling through jails the it could increase the number of deaths uh nationwide it could almost double the the number of uh projected deaths so like one thing to address the problem is stop putting people in jail unless they absolutely need to be there to to keep them from from cycling through uh that's number one and Number two, and Rich could uh, probably speak to this uh, better than myself, but I know that in uh, previous work in uh, doing stories about people who have uh, been released from prison, there's no support for them there. And and again, like so much of these other things involving uh, this virus, it's just exposing problems that already exist, just as the, the racial disparities and, and class disparities that exist in this country, uh, the, the uh, issues of, of people being released uh, from prison with, with no support there, just you're, you're on your own. That, that's, that's already a huge problem. It's even more of a problem now because of the kind of uh, situation that Sean just described. Sean, mm-hmm. again, thanks very much for the call. And the comments. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. Uh, my condolences to uh, Tom's family. I first met him two decades ago, and mm-hmm. I was still working for city council. He was always so uh, upbeat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, on the subject at hand, um, I, I would hope that uh, that a program be set in place uh, not only to release uh, uh, prisoners who uh, uh, are the most at risk, but uh, l- low offenders, uh, nonviolent offenders, people who are close to their, their term, uh, uh, those on good behavior, uh, they should be thinning out the population uh, of those jails as much as possible. Uh, uh, the more you keep those vectors in there, the more those diseases are going to spread. And and uh, I have to echo uh, a lot of your previous callers. All this does is uh, uh, exacerbate uh, and more expose the uh, racial and class divisions that are already yeah. Uh, Richard Griffin, I wonder what you make of what Gene's talking about there. Yes. Um, well, when we look at the, 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 the entire situation of, you know, as, as Gene mentioned, um, letting low of, um, level offenders out, um, there's a lot of commentary on who should be released, why they should be, rele- be released or who shouldn't be released. Well, at the end of the day, we're looking at a public health um, situation that, Men and women who are incarcerated, uh, Michigan does not have a death penalty. 
and to subject those uh, men and women who are currently incarcerated to uh, be exposed at the level that they are being exposed to uh, coronavirus currently. Um, essentially, what we're doing is saying that the folks who are incarcerated will, will be sentenced to death. Um, it is virtually impossible for them to follow any of the public health guidelines that have been set. Um, social distancing is absolutely impossible inside of a correctional uh, setting. I myself am formerly incarcerated, um, and I know firsthand what those, how those institutions operate, what their health services look like, and the the, the demographic of folks in Michigan who are incarcerated are not just if they are have pre-existing uh, health conditions, but just generally speaking, are most at risk because of the environment by which they live in. It is absolutely impossible for them to practice any um, health measures that would you know, assist them in, in, in avoiding coronavirus. And just to add to that point, um, you know, there's reports. We, we, I know specifically facilities who have transferred men to um, additional facilities who have coronavirus. Uh, there's been transfers that have been going on between prisons over the last couple of weeks where one facility that had no cases of coronavirus um, in point, it would be the uh, Adrian or Gus Harrison facility in Adrian, Michigan, now has several cases of coronavirus where inmates from another facility who had been tested positive had been sent to this facility. Um, the Michigan Department of Corrections just does not have the infrastructure by which to treat these individuals and keep them safeguarded against this virus. Um, and this is why our work now is geared towards making sure that we do everything that we possibly can in our power to make sure that we get as many folks released from um, incarceration as possible. Uh, I, yeah, go ahead, Kurt. I, I just wanted to say one of the reasons that we started to tape record uh, the interviews that I've been doing and then uh, post uh, clips of those interviews is, and this was something that I was particularly struck by as I was reporting this is there's one thing to have me as a reporter talking about what's going on or uh, Rich uh, talking about what he knows is going on, but hearing it from, these people themselves who, who are locked up is particularly compelling. Uh, there was an interview I did with uh, a guy named Quentin X. Betty, who's housed in Muskegon. And one thing that he told me was that, you know, that we're looked at as less than human, but, but we, we are, we're human beings and, and their humanity uh, really comes a cross in these recorded conversations you know not just their humanity but how reasoned they are uh it, it, it's just something particularly compelling and for giving them the opportunity just to to speak out in their own voice is a very important thing uh it's important to the people on the outside to hear it but it's also important to the people on the inside to, to be able to, to do that because otherwise they're just locked away and no one knows what's really going on. Right. Because, because they, uh, to a person, they all say what's, what the MDOC says is going on and what their policies are and what's actually happened can be two very, very different things. And so, uh, allowing those voices to be heard, 
is is really important and and that's why I've been doing the work that I've been doing around this issue. Yeah. And and speaking of hearing those voices for themselves, let's listen to another uh, call that you had from a prisoner in uh, here in Michigan. I would like I would like to tell people that the fear is is I'm afraid of catching it and possibly dying. And I know there's many others that have been incarcerated as long as I have that are are extremely afraid of you know dying in prison. And and I do you know, I would like to you know, people, members of the public to know that that lives in here are just as important. You know, we are human. And to have a sentence that's not a sentence to death and then end up dying of something that, you know, people could be released. Um, I do believe that precautions should be taken. And those precautions are, you know, releasing prisoners that have served 25 years, have served 30 years. Um, to hold them and subject them to possible death is, is purely out of retribution or vengeance. It's, it's not humane. That was also Jamie, uh, one of the prisoners at the Macomb County Correctional Facility, um, talking about what the conditions are like inside uh, right now during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, all right, let's get back to the phones here. We still got a lot of folks who want to talk about this issue. Let's go to Adam in Detroit. Adam, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. Thank you for taking my call, sir. My condolences to anyone who's lost a loved one to this um, pandemic. I'm recently released from prison. Actually, um, I've I've been out just over two years. I have a very close family member in Macomb right now, and he's sent to a natural life sentence. And I speak to him frequently. They have a whole unit set up for just right now, just for the corona, the corona cases. Um, he's told he told me that those guys have not even seen the light of day in over thirty days. They haven't been able to go get any yard. And anyone who has been to prison. And you look at the circumstances and what they got to do. I think we're all, every human that has never, ever been to prison is experiencing a little, a little bit of what it is to be in prison. They're not allowed to go to their families, their loved ones' funerals. They can't even drive past their house and wave. Mm. So I think we should all, like, kind of take a little step back and maybe be a little bit more compassionate to people who have made, you know, some bad mistakes in their life but have changed. So people do change. Mm. And I think everybody's actually getting a little taste of prison right now because we're all in, in a prison. Yeah. We're all doing it a bit right now. Adam, that's a that's a really great insight. Uh, I really appreciate the call uh, and you sharing your experience and, and your family's experience. <laughs> Let's go to Jacqueline, who works for a prisoner advocacy organization. Jacqueline, what's on your mind? Hi, I'm Hi. Jacqueline. I work for the AFSC. Hi to Rich and everyone else. Uh, Natalie Holbrook, who was mentioned earlier, is the director of the program. 
Um, I just wanted to say a couple things. One, to reiterate that the conditions inside are absolutely abhorrent. Um, they've turned off a lot of the ventilation system, so not to move particulate around. So it is very hot and pressurized in these units. Uh, there's not enough food. The lockdown trays are very skimpy. There's a lot of tension. People are really getting into desperation mode. Um, and a lot of that is because we have had complete inaction from the governor the attorney general, the lieutenant governor, people who purport to care about people and who are protecting all people in Michigan. It's just not true. Um, we are hearing really just, you know, complete silence other than we're expediting parole. We paroled an average number, number of people in March while this virus ripped through our system. We've had 717 positive cases as of this morning and 25 people have died. Um, and the people that we are seeing die are the people who have served the longest amount of time, who have done the most work on themselves and who are really ready to come outside and be good neighbors in our community. I want to lift up one person named Michael Garrett who was sentenced to life without parole as a juvenile. He passed away, I think it was 26 days before he was supposed to walk out a free oh, man. The last oh. time he was out in the free world, he was 16 years old when he was sentenced to life without parole in prison. Um, so there's, there are these subsets of populations that have really served a long time and done good work and who really deserve to come home. And those are the folks that we are seeing die. Um, people with loved ones out here who really deserve really deserve some attention from the our top leaders. Yeah. Jacqueline, I really appreciate you calling and and adding that perspective to the conversation before we break uh, uh Kurt and Richard. This this all seems to to point to this urgency for the state to be acting a little more swiftly. Are are you optimistic that the pressure you're bringing to bear is going to have that result? If um, if I may, I I would I would like to think so. Um, I know that the uh, stellar work that is being done um, at AFSC, at the ACLU of Michigan and other various organizations around the state that are advocating for the release of um, incarcerated individuals. I believe that we will be successful in a lot of our efforts. However, we you know, if we if, if history has told us or taught us anything, um, you know, the state of Michigan is very reluctant to do anything that would move in that direction. Um, but with the efforts of all organizations mentioned and others that have not been, I believe that we will see some relief in the areas that we all are working on specifically. Um, I would like to extend my condolences to you all at WDET for the loss of your colleague, but also to um, Jacqueline and Natalie Holbrook and Demetrius Titus over at American Friends Service Committee. They are doing a great job at making sure that, you know, frontline information is being funneled out to other organizations to make sure that we're aware of what's going on. Um, but, yes, I believe that um, our efforts will will yield some results. How successful we'll be in those endeavors, I can't say. Um, but we will not stop and we will continue this effort until um, until we no longer have to. And for those in the uh, public and listeners, they can go to the ACL. Um, aclumich.org to our website and look under the news tab or events tab to look at any lawsuit that has been filed in recent times regarding COVID-19 cases, but also to look at upcoming events in the next um, couple of months that will be geared towards uh, organizing for criminal legal reform in the face of COVID-19. Okay. Uh, the only thing I would add, Stephen, is that the situation is beyond urgent. You know, this is this is weeks and weeks 
late uh, addressing this uh, with the urgency that it, it deserves to be. Because every day that passes, more people are getting infected, more people are dying, and it just cre- it exasperates the problem uh, in ways that it doesn't need to be exasperated. And it's not just to the people who are housed in these facilities. It is the correctional officers, but then it's also the outside world. And the less they do to keep it from spreading in prisons, the, the more, and jails, the more it's going to get back into the outside world. So sort of a circular thing. So mm-hmm. it's not just about the people who are locked up or the people who are guarding them. It's about the, doing what's best for society as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Richard Griffin and Kurt Guyette of the ACLU of Michigan. It was really great to have both of you here for this conversation. Thanks for coming by. Thank you for, Thank you for, for shining light on this, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Thank you very, very much. Mm-hmm. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about Michigan's prisons and jails during the coronavirus pandemic. We'll be joined by two more experts from the University of Michigan to talk about this issue. And we want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have tuned in. We've been talking all hour about prisons, jails, and inmates in Michigan, and what should happen with them during the global pandemic brought on by the coronavirus. Now we want to welcome a researcher from the University of Michigan who is looking at this issue. William Lopez is a clinical assistant professor at the University of Michigan School of Public Health and faculty director of public scholarship at the National Center for Institutional Diversity. Uh, He is part of a historic research project that's underway at U of M called Documenting Criminalization and Confinement in America. It's the first effort we're aware of to seek out and archive the experiences of being criminalized and confined in America under mass incarceration. William Lopez, uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. We also have Ashley Lucas, who is director of the Prison Creative Arts Project at the University of Michigan. Ashley Lucas, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you. And actually, I'm the former director of the Prison Creative Arts Project. The wonderful Nora Kranitsky is now at the helm of the organization. Oh, well, there you go. Thank you very much for that uh, for that correction. Uh, Bill, I want to talk first to you about how this is playing out in immigration detention facilities. Sure, yeah. I think it's, it's a great question to think about right now. Um, so lots of what we're seeing happen in immigration detention is mirroring what is happening in, in prisons and jails. And that's folks who are no risk to their communities um, and should not be detained or incarcerated in the first place are held in these conditions in which, as, as previous uh, guests have said, it's nearly impossible to follow CDC guidelines um, to stay healthy, right? And so to give a couple of specific examples, uh, what we're seeing is folks who are detained 
who are actually scheduled to be deported are now not able to be deported. So there's this critical mass of people inside detention centers and often jails, right? So often the same space uh, used to incarcerate folks in our communities is also for undocumented folks and for citizens. Um, And folks are caught there, unaware of when they're able to leave um, and often unable to communicate with folks from the outside. Uh, Ashley, you've been in touch with many of these prisoners. Talk about what you're hearing from them and what their situations look like. I think as you also heard from the wonderful folks from the ACLU and some of your callers, people inside prisons are absolutely terrified right now. They are literally living in cages. If you were in a place where everything was locked up, you had no control over how much contact you would have with someone else, whether or not you could obtain cleaning supplies, or where you could go for medical care should you need it. It's an absolutely terror-inducing situation, not just for people in prisons, but for all of us in the outside world who love them. I'm also hearing really frightening things from the families of the incarcerated people who don't know how they would, they don't have any ability to help their loved ones while they're inside and don't even know how they would be notified should their loved one fall ill or pass away. Hmm. Uh, Ashley, talk about the creative, Prison Creative Arts Project and the kind of work that you're doing there. We at the Prison Creative Arts Project, or PCAP for short, have been working in the Michigan prisons for 30 years now. So we have very long-standing relationships with people inside, particularly with some of those long-termers that the folks from the ACLU were mentioning who've done our programming for decades. And it's absolutely um, wrenching not to be able to do our regular programming. Ordinarily, we send in university students and community volunteers to do weekly workshops for an hour and a half to two hours at a particular prison for the course of a semester. So we're, we're going in, we're spending time with folks each week. We engage in collaborative art-making processes in visual art, photography, music, theater, and creative writing. So we're some of the only people in the state who have the privilege of going in to celebrate people's lives, to hone their creative and artistic abilities, and to do something that lets people assert their own humanity as opposed to a lot of other programming, which is wonderful in its own right, but is very much focused on shaping people into becoming a better citizen in the state's view or from a medicalized view. So we're some of the only people who get to go inside and say to folks, what do you want to talk about today? What do you want to create today? And how can we use our creative abilities to support one another to create the kind of world that we'd like to live in? Mm. Uh, Bill, your research focuses on the health impacts of immigration law enforcement. I assume this pandemic is putting an even more direct light on those health implications. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, Ashley raises a great point that's that's relevant for folks who are incarcerated, whether jail, detention, or prison. Um, It's not only about being unable to socially distance and and wash your hands and maintain proper hygiene, uh, but also just this enormous amount of psychological and emotional stress, right? Um, We know this stress and this trauma can take years of life um, from people, and we're going to see that more now, right? So being detained during a pandemic, as others have said, can be sort of a death sentence. Um, The mental stress that comes with that is likely unlike what many folks on the outside have ever experienced. 
Uh, Ashley, how are you documenting these stories and situations as part of the Documenting Criminalization and Confinement in America project? Well, I'm so deeply uh, moved by the fact that people are willing to write to us about what's happening to them inside the walls, because in prison, no matter how you communicate with the outside world via telephone or through the mail or through the, the email system that's called JPay, the censors and the people who control the prisons are reading everything, and often those authorities are not very happy when people inside tell the truth about how deplorable the conditions inside prisons are. So people are holding themselves up to scrutiny of the very authorities that can find them, no matter how they choose to communicate with us. But um, I'm thrilled to hear that the ACLU is recording the phone calls that they're receiving from people. We've received some recordings from people as well. Um, but most of our archive is coming through the paper mail and through emails that people's families are forwarding to us from their loved ones inside. And we are, um, we're building a giant digital archive at the University of Michigan Library to house all of this documentation so that for generations to come, people will know what really happened to incarcerated people during this crisis. Hmm. Okay, Ashley Lucas and William Lopez, both of the University of Michigan. It was really great to have you here for this conversation on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow and hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.